Amen. Church, it is good to be before you this morning. I thank the pastor for giving me the honor uh, to speak and, and uh, trusting. I, I want to say trusting. I know he trusts me. <laughs> He's been praying for me. And I am just stoked to have this opportunity. When the pastor sent me a message and he said, hey, Bill, would you be willing to speak? I said, yes, I would love to. And he says, what do you want to speak on? I said, I don't know yet. And uh, it, I was at work. It was about 10 o'clock at night, and it didn't take me but a half an hour. And uh, what uh, led me to speak about this, and I like to, I say I quit preaching when the kids uh, graduated high school. So I want to just speak with you today. But what led me to speak on this was, at the beginning of the year, you remember the pastor called all of us to look at our lives, to take uh, inventory and decide what we needed to give up and what we needed to take on, what we needed to commit to and what we needed to omit in our lives. And um, I did. I listened to him and I obeyed and, and I did some inventory and realized that in the personal devotions category of my life has always been wanting. That's something I've always struggled with. I can watch Christian movies all day long, listen to Christian music continually, 24-7, sleep to it. Uh, it's not a problem for me. But when it comes to being quiet is the first challenge. And secondly, listening to God. And then third, getting in His Word. Uh, and I think it's something you grow into because I'm getting a little better at it. As the Lord blesses me, I start to understand things a little bit better. Uh, and I considered myself probably a very immature Christian for the longest time, and I still don't consider myself all that mature. I'm going to say maybe I'm about a 14-year-old Christian, about, about right in there. But I am starting to, as I get into the Word, uh, see things that I didn't see before and understand things that I didn't understand before. So in my attempt to develop my uh, devotional life, I decided I would start with a psalm. So I read a psalm. I get home in the morning, I read a psalm, and then I, I, I was going to read a chapter out of a book, and I was just going through a whole book of the Bible. So I just opened the Bible and got to Daniel and started through Daniel uh, and have been doing that in my personal devotion life. So when he said, what do you want to talk about? I thought, well, what have, what's been going on? Because normally I have something, you know, burning on my heart that I'm thinking about. Uh, and one of the things that impressed me about Daniel was when I looked at his vocational life, I looked at his job history, I realized he and I have walked down a lot of the same roads. Um, I may not have performed as well as Daniel did, that's probably why there's not a book of Bill in the Bible. But uh, Daniel set a wonderful example. And what I want to speak or what I want to share with you today is Daniel's legacy. Not so much all of the things that God took him through or rescued him from, but the legacy that he left, uh, not only for Israel and for the, the children of Israel, but what the legacy that he left for the Gentile nation that he touched just because he went into captivity. Now we're doing plan B today because uh, I'm getting a new laptop at work. I usually use my work laptop and, and it's getting swapped out so I don't have it. And we have my old laptop from home that only hooks up like to a windmill. It won't hook up to anything modern. So they're gonna have the slides up there for me and we're gonna go through them. And of course I've got my copy here. Uh, so I want to talk to you this morning about Daniel, a legacy of faith, keeping the main thing, the main thing. So go ahead to our first slide, gentlemen. There's not going to be a lot of pictures today, but I did at least want to get you one picture of this famous scene. Paula would like to be there. She would like to be cast into the lion's den. She thinks they're furry and friendly and that this is going to be a wonderful event. Uh, I don't think Daniel thought it was that, but he did, I think, enjoy his time there. Stand with me, if you will, just while we read this key verse. And I want to remind you, you notice it says Daniel 6, 16b. This is the second half of that verse, and these words are spoken by King Darius. Just very briefly, it says, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as I talk to you about the legacy, that's one of the, the reason I chose that as my key verse was that was a testimony, not of Daniel. Daniel didn't say that. Darius said that. And the reason Darius felt that way was because of the legacy that Daniel had created at this point. Next slide, please. So we're going to kind of build Daniel's resume today. Uh, and some of the things I want to look at was his birth. Uh, we find out in the book of Daniel, the first chapter, as they talk about the children of Israel that were captured, they met certain criteria. One thing was they had to be of noble verse. They had to have schooling. They had to have had some privilege and uh, were in good health. They had to be good looking. So not all of us would have made it. Lord bless us. Without blemish. Wise and cunning. Now the word cunning disturbed me a little bit, but I think it just means that they're not green. That they they understand how to conduct themselves and that kind of thing. So they had to be wise and cunning. Now, these aren't my categories. This is what the king asks. So don't beat me up about this. Uh, Daniel was good in science. So he understood science. And back then, I think they called it magic because they didn't understand it. So he did end up, one of his positions was he was the chief magician. And I think that's basically saying he was the chief scientist because we know he didn't practice magic. Intellectual, who could hold his own with the king. So at some point in time in his interaction with his captors, he was going to appear before the king. We know from the stories that he appeared several times, uh, but he would have to be able to hold his own as, as he was talking with the king. Next slide, please. And this is all in an outline format because this is the way I compiled it. I didn't get time to make it all fancy and that kind of stuff. You will see some things uh, in bold print. And those are the things that I kind of pull out that are going to go into Daniel's resume that we compile at the end. Now, here we've got Daniel. He's been whisked off to Babylon. They speculate that he was anywhere from 10 to 18 years of age. So not very old at all. Uh, He had been in school. He was fairly wise, but I'm sure this had to have been an upsetting situation for him. And uh, so I thought, well, how does he deal with this? Just what is it about Daniel's character that made him so capable of, of sitting under Nebuchadnezzar in a, in a captive state? Because he did perform well, as, as we'll look at, we'll see later. So I found out that Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, wrote them a letter. And I pulled out just a few lines that I want to read. I noticed up there it looks fairly small. So just listen as I read this. This is found in Jeremiah chapter 29. Some of these verses will sound very familiar to him. We use them here a lot. This is the text to the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I skip down to verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed... 
to Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So fortunately, Jeremiah was led of the Lord to send this letter out. And I think it had a lot to do with how those captives were able to deal with this situation. Can you not imagine, had this letter not been delivered, how some of those captives might have reacted to being uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's castle, in a strange land, eating things that they weren't supposed to be eating, and probably being exposed to things they didn't want to be exposed to. So I thought Jeremiah's letter uh, was very, very... It was a pinnacle moment, I think, in the life of Daniel as we look at how he was prepared, and I give the Lord credit for that. Next slide. Prepared to prosper. We're in Daniel chapter 1. The reason I say that is, after I realized that letter from Jeremiah went out, he gave those children of Israel a plan to prosper. He showed them everything they needed to do to be in that land and to be able to get along and get through uh, with those people. And had Daniel not chosen that path, where would the Gentile nation be now? And where would the nation of Israel be now? Because uh, as you'll see later in our, in our story, he really played a key role in helping those nations survive and get through this 70 years. So he's new in the house. He's sitting under his captives and what's the, one of the first things he does? He says, I don't like what you're serving here for dinner. <laughs> yeah, he complains, doesn't he? Isn't that quite bold? Now, we understand perfectly why Daniel chose not to eat the food. There were a couple things that happened to that food that were just unacceptable to the children of Israel. Uh, it's, it just comes with the kosher standard of the Old Testament. First of all, the food had been offered to idols to other gods, which made it unclean, and it had been strangled. Two things you just don't do to a kosher person's food. So Daniel had good reason to reject the food, and the Lord, I'm sure, had planted this on his heart. And his choice was, I'm not going to defile myself with your food. It was probably pretty tasty, if it wasn't for the fact that it was against their belief system. So he chose not to eat the food. How did this go? Well, in verse 9, it says that God caused Daniel to find favor with the princes, prince of the eunuchs. This is the guy that was in charge of them. Um, I started to think about Sergeant Carter in the Gomer Pyle movie, but, but basically he was in charge of, of their well-being. Uh, he was in charge of their education, their housing, and everything. And guess what happens if that doesn't go well? Nebuchadnezzar did not have a very good retirement plan. If you weren't working for him, you were dead. So it was very key that this young man be able to do a good job taking care of Daniel and his friends. So Daniel offers a plan, and I call it the Daniel diet. He says, we'll go on the Daniel diet for 10 days, and we'll see how it works out. Well, since he'd found favor with this young eunuch, uh, he was willing to accept that plan and take that risk because he felt favor over Daniel. So the Lord's already working in a mighty and marvelous way to make this situation work out. So in verse 17, it talks about how God has equipped these four for the task at hand. It says that they were very gifted. And let me find out my notes I've got here. They were very gifted, and they had knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. You ever feel like that sometimes? Yeah, me neither. I don't think the Lord has done that. I do know some things, but it's usually how to fix stuff. Daniel had an understanding of all visions and dreams. And I thought that was funny that he has an understanding of all vision and dreams, but if you read Jeremiah's letter, he said, be careful of people that... that were there and dreaming dreams and having visions not of God. We know Daniel was on the right side of this, but there were also people out there on the wrong side of this. And so 
Nebuchadnezzar gets to talk to them. So after they get settled in a little bit, like, yeah, I don't know, maybe the first week or so, uh, hopefully after this diet plan test, uh, Nebuchadnezzar calls all of them in and gets to talk with them. And guess how well those four boys did when Daniel, uh, Daniel and his friends went in. Nebuchadnezzar commented that they are 10 times smarter than anyone else that he had talked to. 10 times smarter than the astrologers and the Chaldeans that he actually had working for him from his kingdom. So it was quite obvious at this point that Daniel had been blessed of the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had some special abilities. They were overachievers. Uh, and that was all because of the preparation of the Lord and how he had blessed them, their minds, and their intellect. So, have you guys ever felt that way about yourselves? Have you ever at work done some things or said some things or designed something that you thought, how did I even do that? Yeah. I didn't even know. Those are the times, your Daniel moments, when God wants to bless you in your position. He put you there for a reason. And for you to be effective, sometimes you need to excel so that you're seen, so that you're heard, you're listened to. And so those are those times. And I want you to be cognizant of that because I looked back and believe it or not, I've had those times and they have surprised me something fierce. Uh, but I thank the Lord for using me and blessing me in those ways uh, and giving me that gift. And that's exactly what it is. It's a gift from God when you find that you have worked beyond your means or worked beyond your measure or your education level. Next slide. An impossible request. Now I did come up with titles for all these slides. Some of them are quite amusing. Uh, so I hope you appreciate my humor. Uh, if not, uh, the complaint department is through that door to the left. <laughs> In verse one through 12 of chapter two, here we are with King Nebuchadnezzar having had a, a dream you guys all remember this because these stories are told in Sunday school classes and throughout the church through all time. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that just is right down Daniel's pike. This, we're dealing with his, his talent. But if you'll notice in verses 1 through 12, they don't call Daniel in to talk about that dream. He's called in all of his astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans, his magicians. None of them can recall the dream or interpret it, that what do they tell him? They say, this is impossible, what you'd ask. No one but God himself can do this. So Daniel still doesn't get called in. You know what Daniel gets called for? To be killed. He wants to wipe out the whole bunch of them because now Nebuchadnezzar's mad. So Daniel doesn't get called to interpret the dream. He gets called to be killed. So fortunately, and I think this again has something to do with his relationship with his captors, he asked, hey, what's going on? Well, we're taking you out to kill you. Uh, oh, what? So he finds out the situation. The uh, chief of the guards tells him that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and nobody can interpret it or tell him what it is. So Daniel says, well, let me, and I think he got a little bit of time here from uh, the way I read the story. I'll say he had a night vision, so I'm assuming he got that evening. Of course, he pulls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. You guys know that story. Daniel gets the interpretation. He gets the vision of the dream. He's able to share it with Nebuchadnezzar. I better keep up on my slides, too. Next screen. No, not you guys. That's me. Um, he gets to share it with the king and finds great favor now with the king because he has done the impossible. He has done what only God can do, and God did that through Daniel. He's appointed ruler over the whole providence of Babylon. So as we're dealing with Daniel's resume, that's one of the key points we're going to put on the top of his resume. He was once ruler over the whole providence of of Babylon. See, he has rose to quite some state by the blessing of the Lord. And so what does he do? Any smart politician surrounds himself with his friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are positioned over the affairs of Babylon. So they're going to handle the day today, and then Daniel's going to be the leader of that group. 
And then it goes on to say in verse 49, and this gives you just a little insight into Daniel's heart. Daniel sat at the gate of the king. I had no idea what this meant, so I had to consult with some commentaries and stuff. It actually means that Daniel took the seat of chief justice in the king's court. Now, why would he choose to do that? If you look at his history, he really doesn't have anything that would lead you to believe he had a law degree. But he did have an interest in the people of Israel, and he realized they weren't the only captives there. So if they came to court, if they came to the high court, the king's court, for whatever reason, guess who the chief justice was? It was Daniel. So here, once again, you see the Lord positioning people in key roles for the good of, of his kingdom and the good of his chosen people. Again, I ask you, have you guys ever seen that in your life where you get into a situation and somebody who's going to be making that decision or calling that call is someone that the Lord has put there to prosper you? He does these kinds of things and until we actually step back and look, and I mean we have to go through our life in detail and step back and look and see this. So that was like my daily devotion into Daniel. It was more of like, okay, there was a lion's den, there was a fiery furnace, but what more is in here? And there is so much more in there when you start to break down this life of Daniel and see how the Lord molded and moved and protected those children during this time of captivity. All right, here's the next one. You'll like this one. Turn or burn. You've heard that before, right? Used in a lot of revivals, I think. But this is about our fiery furnace, fiery furnace episode. So, if you remember a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar's dream, I'm not sure if this ties in or not, but it bugs me enough, I'm going to share it with you. Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there was a head of gold in the dream. And that was Nebuchadnezzar. Now, shortly after that, now we find Nebuchadnezzar builds an image of gold. It doesn't say it was an image of Nebuchadnezzar's head, but I wonder if that's what it was. Uh, some some uh, studies say it was a head, or it had a gold head at least, because somebody put an uh, a article from the temple in its mouth and it started to speak. But that's not actually in the scriptures. That I found in another study. So we're not going to talk about that. But I'm just saying it could have happened. So Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image of gold, which again... Uh, amuses me and everyone is together for the dedication now I have a list of the people that were invited to this dedication he sent together you ready for this the parking must have been terrible princes governors captains judges treasurers counselors sheriffs and all the rulers of the providences where was Daniel's invitation? I'm not sure. He would have been included in some of those groups. I assume he would have been considered to be a judge. But it doesn't say why Daniel was or wasn't there. But there was quite a group of leaders in the plain when Nebuchadnezzar dedicated this image. You all know the story. When they played the music, you're supposed to bow down, worship this image. Now, this is one thing that happened that I don't think there was any malice involved. It was basically Nebuchadnezzar's pride. You'll see in so many of these situations where Daniel and the boys got in trouble, it were people that were trying to undermine their position or maybe take it. Have you ever had that at work? I, I, had, I had one job I started at. Um, back when I did electronics, you had to move jobs about every five years in the electronics industry or you never would get a pay raise. So that was how you got your pay raise, was you changed companies. I started with a company one time and had a young man come to me in the break room the first day. He says, I should have had your job. I said, okay. <laughs> I said, well, apparently they chose me, I'm sorry. And he goes, I will have your job. And I thought, whoa, really? <laughs> come on, dude. <laughs> And uh, he really come out after me, and it was weird. And actually, he did his best to undermine me uh, in that position. But guess what? My boss had found a favor with me. And 
He was there for five years. I stayed with that company for 10. I normally moved every five. I stayed with that company for 10. And the five years that I served underneath that manager, I could do no wrong. And I prospered considerably. And I thank the Lord for that and for the exposure that I had during that time. That gave me some time to get some extra schooling, some, get some extra study, so that when that favor was gone, I was qualified to move on and landed on my feet. So God will do that. If something's going on in your life right now where it just doesn't feel like it's right, look up because it's probably God working out your life to build a situation that will bless you. That's his goal for you is to bless you. No matter what it looks like on the outside, God is blessing you. So keep that in mind and keep the faith. Keep the main thing the main thing in your life. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are named as persons of interest in an investigation to a non-bowing situation. So the sheriffs, I think, that were there in a tenant went out and picked them up, and they brought them before the king. And the king says, surely you must have misunderstood the decree, and you didn't bow when the music started. He goes, I'm going to give you a second chance. But those boys had already made up their mind long before that image was built that they were not going to have any of this idol worship and these things that are unacceptable to the Lord. And that's another point I'd like to make for you today. Old people, young people, all people, decide ahead of time where you stand. Don't wait for the temptation or the situation to arise and then you have to decide because sometimes that's not where we make our best decisions. We should have a declaration in our hearts ahead of time about what we're going to do, when we're going to do it, and how we're going to do it. And it should always be pleasing to the Lord. Our plan should be. Don't plan to do the wrong thing. I don't think people do. I think they just got caught up in the moment and did the wrong thing because they were rushed. So know ahead of time where you're going to go. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got a little mouthy, in my opinion, because in verse 16 it says, as they responded, we are not going to be careful about responding to you. In other words, this is how it is, king. Live with it or not. So what did he do? He got angry. Heated up that furnace. And here's another situation where, how hot was the furnace? The king had chosen his biggest guys. If Aaron were here this morning, I'd say somebody like that, you know. His biggest guys to cast these three young little Israelites into the furnace. And what happened to his biggest guys, his strongest guys in the kingdom? Just casting them in the furnace killed them. They, they dropped dead right then and there. Not because God struck them dead, but because that furnace was that hot. So that's evidence on this situation was real. This is not some kind of a, of a theological story that's painted to teach a lesson. This was real life. That furnace was hot. It was deadly. And so they were cast in there. We know that their bindings were burnt and cast asunder. And they're walking in there with a fourth person we know to be God. So it's another situation where the Lord intervened and he came in and his plan is going to go forward regardless of Nebuchadnezzar's decree. And what were the results of that? The results of that were, and we're talking about Daniel. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they got out of that furnace, what happened? Nebuchadnezzar recanted. He did this several times throughout his career, didn't he? But then he put out the word that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the God of all time. He is the God who chooses who's going to live and who's going to die. He puts men in power and he takes men out. And he is God. So once again, the Lord is declared in the land of Nebuchadnezzar because of that. So what happens after that? Let's turn to the next slide. Daniel chapter 4. I have a dream. Heard that one before, too. So, again, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Who does he call in? Does he call in Daniel? No. Why is it, and this is the part of the story that frustrates me, is it seemed like Daniel gets to a position where he's trusted, and, and they lean upon him, and, 
and he serves the king well. And then down the road a couple months or years, I think it was years, I do have all this on a timetable that I'd be happy to share with you guys. Uh, I didn't print it up. I downloaded it, and it's awesome. But a couple years goes by, and it happens again, and he forgets all about Daniel. Somehow Daniel keeps falling out of his positions. I'm not sure why. Maybe he was in court. Maybe he was making a court TV show for cable TV. I don't know. So he calls in his magicians, his astrologers, his Chaldeans, his soothsayers, and asks them to interpret the dream. At least this time, they're only asked to interpret. He shares the dream with them. They still can't deliver. Even after escaping death once before, they have the nerve to say, yeah, we don't know. Daniel just happens to arrive. I don't know if he was stopping by for a visit, if he'd heard rumor mill or what. But he arrives. Now look at what Belshazzar says. He says, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you. Tell me the visions of my dream and interpretation thereof. So he ups the ante with Daniel, which doesn't shake him at all. Again, Daniel goes back uh, and, and prays about this, and he sees the dream that uh, he's having, and it troubles him when he talks about the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, because it's where Nebuchadnezzar is going to wander in the wilderness. It says for seven times, and I looked at several studies on that. I think it's seven years. I don't think it was seven weeks, and I don't think it was seven days. Because his hair became like uh, eagle's wings. They said, I assume quite matted and such, fluffy. So I'm going to say seven years. I'm going to step out on a limb and say that Nebuchadnezzar was going to wander the wilderness for seven years. So he shares this dream with Nebuchadnezzar, and then he offers counsel. So you'll notice when I get to Daniel's resume that he was counselor to Nebuchadnezzar. That's one of the claims to fame that we're going to put in Daniel's resume. And what does he tell him? Break off your sins with righteousness. So apparently Nebuchadnezzar, again, was indulging in some things that he shouldn't have been doing. And replace iniquity with mercy. Again, I don't think he was treating a lot of the children of Israel very good at the time from some of the things that I've read. Next slide. So Nebuchadnezzar does his seven years in the wilderness. He does return to office, but he's never mentioned again in the scripture. There was another king in between them, but eventually Belshazzar comes uh, to the kingdom, who's Nebuchadnezzar's son, as I gathered it. But again, some studies are, are in conflict on that. But if you look at what the wife says down there, uh, you'll see that that was probably the case. So Belshazzar is a party animal. One of the first things that he does when he gets into office is he throws a big celebration, which I guess I can't blame the guy. If somebody made me king, I'd probably at least have a dinner party. Um, so he gets a thousand of his lords and they're having a big party. Now where he makes his mistake was he crossed the line. His party just wasn't good enough as it was. So he has them to go get the vessels that were taken out of Jerusalem when the temple was torn down. And he knows what those vessels are for. He understands that. He's the king. He's highly educated. And he goes and gets those, and so they use them to drink their wine. The minute that happens, the writing appears on the wall. And that's one of the things we're going to put in Daniel's resume, that he uh, coined the phrase, the writing on the wall. Which is funny because the writing on the wall means it's obvious, but oddly enough, the writing on this wall, nobody could understand but Daniel. So a little bit of a twist there. So what happens, and again, today's speech, or today's talk is about the legacy of Daniel. Look what happens in uh, verse 10 of chapter 5. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, so this is Belshazzar's first wife, she hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belshazzar, Long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. Now, she says gods. In my writing, I left it God, but up here, I just went ahead and copied the scripture because I didn't have the, 
I didn't want to write God's because we know it was only one. But he has that spirit in him. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call Daniel. He'll tell you what's wrong. Isn't that not amazing that the king's wife, the queen, is one of Daniel's strongest advocates? His legacy, his reputation is well known throughout the kingdom. And that's what I wanted to share with you guys today, is that your legacies, your knowledge of, of who you are, what you are, and who you stand for, can permeate the communities around you. And it can open doors, and it can open opportunities. It can change lives. As people come to you, and say, hey, I want to know something about this God you know. I want to get introduced to him. Can you introduce me to him? And I can tell you, I've had that opportunity, uh, not because somebody knew my reputation, but because somebody knew my back patch when we were uh, riding bikes one day. Our group was out, the uh, CMA group, and there was a man come up to us in the gas station and says, you guys are Christians, aren't you? Well, we do have a big old cross on our back. Yeah, I think that's probably what. And uh, we said, yes. He says, I want to be saved. That's a one-time good deal. I've never had that happen again at a gas station. It was a marathon at the time, if it matters. But he came to us and said, I want to be saved. He saw our back patches. But guess what? The same thing could happen in your workplace, uh, any club or organization that you belong to. If your legacy is up to par, they'll know who you are. And when times get tough for them and they get to that end of their rope, they'll know where they can go to and find Christ because they'll know who has that spirit in them. So these lessons are very important to apply today. Daniel lived a long time ago and it worked well for him, but this stuff still works today. So let's see what happens in chapter 6 as we go to the next slide. And gentlemen, thank you. You're doing an excellent job today. Darius the Mede happened to be age 62. I'm 61, so I found that entertaining. Maybe there's a kingdom coming to me next year. I don't know. Maybe I'll capture some country. Uh, Darius sets up his cabinet, and of his cabinet, he chooses 120 princes to rule Babylon. I assume Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in there someplace. The scriptures don't say, but we're going to go with that. There are three presidents that he places over the 120 princes, and Daniel is the highest ranking one. And guess what? The other two, they're like that guy in, in my break room that want Daniel's job. And they let that known early in the scripture and they start to conspire against Daniel. So it's obvious that he's the favorite. Darius loves him. And they seek to undermine him. And look at this in verse four. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds or charges against Daniel. In his conduct of government, in his affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So here's two frustrated individuals that want to undermine Daniel, and they have absolutely no ammunition. So their only choice is to confuse Darius, and we see that in our next slide. 
Look who's coming to dinner. How do you like that for a title? <laughs> so Darius gets tricked by his top, two of his top three presidents, gets tricked into making the decree, and apparently in Persia and in the Medes, when they make a law, it really sticks. I mean, you've got to do this if, if it's a decree from the king. You would think if the king could make a decree, the king could cancel a decree. But apparently there is no cancellation policy with Medes and Persians. So they trick Darius. He makes the decree. And what does it have to be? It has to be something along the lines that's going to trip Daniel up. And that would be his worship of the Jehovah God. They knew that Daniel prayed three times a day. They knew that he did it with his windows open. They knew that he faced Jerusalem, and this was his practice. And this wasn't a practice that he developed because of this decree. He had done this ever since he'd been there. That's not a new idea for Daniel. That's something that he'd done all of his life. And that's one way they knew they could trick him. So in verses 11 through 15, the story plays out. Darius is forced to send Daniel to the lion's den. Forced, mind you, by the law, by the law that he made. He didn't want to do it. It was obvious. Um, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, again, we should put this in the resume, but it's definitely uh, a moving line. May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. So Darius's faith in Daniel's God becomes quite obvious here. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. All goes on down in verse 19. In the morning, Darius comes down to see what's going on with Daniel. And he hollers in, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you served continually, been able to rescue you from the lions. This was going to be the moment of truth, wasn't it? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. And you know Darius had to take a big <sighs> breath at that point. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Daniel declares his innocence. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's right. And nobody argues with Daniel about that. The king doesn't argue, and God certainly doesn't argue. Daniel was innocent and remains innocent and has sinned neither against God nor the king. The king was overjoyed and gave them orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when he got out of that den, there was not a scratch on him, just like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of that furnace. No, no smoke, no burnt clothes. Even though their, bind, their bindings were burnt, their wrists weren't even burnt. When the Lord rescues you, he rescues you. He doesn't mess around. Amen. So Darius and Daniel celebrate as the families of his accusers have dinner with the lions. That's all I'll say about that. Next slide. The God of Daniel's declared. So Darius has no, no choice but to put out a decree to declare the God of Daniel a strong and mighty God, able to save and to keep his people. And that's what we see here. The King Darius wrote to all of the nations and peoples. Now keep in mind when Darius... Uh, Amid uh, had the kingdom of Babylon. They owned most of the whole world at that time. So this letter, this decree that went out, went out worldwide. The Lord of Daniel, the God of Daniel was decreed or declared across every nation, every language over all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. 
for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. One man's faith, one man's refusal to compromise, and a decree goes out, a news broadcast goes out across the entire world that declares God's glory and his salvation power. And you can't get that kind of publicity for free, let me tell you. So that was quite an ordeal in Daniel's life. Next slide, please. Now I want to start to put together Daniel's resume. So here's a few things I've listed. I didn't put it in a resume form because we've been in outline form all day, so we just stayed that way. I could do it because I got a whole ream of resume paper, and I'd love to put together one that really looked like a real resume. But it would start something like this. He was from Daniel of Jerusalem. No last name. Couldn't find it anywhere. Didn't have an Israeli phone book. Don't know. Tribe of Judah. Tribe of Judah. He was one of the priestly tribe. 620 B.C. to 536 B.C., somewhere around there. Don't have a month, don't have a day, uh, but they speculate that it was somewhere during that time based upon the things that happened uh, in his life. Celebrated Jewish scholar, master interpreter of dreams. Those were the words spoken by the queen, not by Daniel, but this is what he was. Exiled to Babylon after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, where he was a developer of the famous Daniel diet plan. Worked very well. He was fluent in Hebrew, and because of his captivity, Aramaic as well. So he was bilingual. Ruler over the whole providence of Babylon for a period from 602 to 562. Now that reads well on a resume. He was career counselor to King Nebuchadnezzar and a successful interpreter of the proverbial writing on the wall. So develop that phrase as well. President overall Babylon under Darius and the Medes from 540 BC to 536 BC when they speculate that he passed away in office. Miraculously survives a night in the lion's den, literally. His writings are included in the canon of sacred Jewish writings. Now, I want to say one thing. Well, that's good. That's fine, gentlemen. Thank you. Um, when it says he passed away in 536, there are some, and again, this is not documented, but there are some who believe that Daniel never did die and that he will be one of the prophets that return in the end times to stand outside the temple and declare the word of the Lord. I sat under a pastor that believed that, not Pastor Andy, but one of my previous, that I respected a lot, but I have no founding for that belief. But if they do, they've chosen an excellent man for the job. So we'll see how that goes. We'll either be watching from television or from heaven, and we'll see how that unfolds. So that was uh, his conditions, the things that happened to him. These are the things I want us to adopt as we look at his qualifications, the thing that made Daniel successful as he was. He was a servant of the Most High God who will not be defiled. He chose not to defile himself. He wouldn't let it happen. A man who was within him, the Spirit of the Holy God. So he had the Spirit of the Lord within him. That's a lot easier for us today with the power of the Holy Spirit than it would have been for Daniel back then because we have no indications that the Holy Spirit was released on the earth at the time because Jesus hasn't come yet. But God's Spirit certainly visited the earth, and I don't know how that was played out, but he definitely had the Spirit of God in him through some means. And he had an exceptional ability and was filled with divine knowledge and understanding. And we have that same thing. The scriptures tell us if we ask, we can have the wisdom 
that was distributed to Solomon when he took office. We can have that. And certainly being Christians, we have a different mindset that enables us to look at things differently because we're not distracted. We're not um, drawn aside by Satan's tricks. We see things clearly because of the Spirit of God in us. And we have that wisdom that we can call on just like Daniel did. Trustworthy, being neither corrupt or negligent. That's definitely a character trait and part of Daniel's life and his walk with God. Innocent before God and King Darius. Some good qualifications. A very effective ambassador for the one true God to all the earth. I think I've got one or two more slides, gentlemen. This is what it says in chapter 12, verse 13 of Daniel, the very last chapter, the very last verse. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Now that sounds to me like Daniel went off to heaven uh, and will rise with the church during the end times. But again, there are others that feel differently. I want to leave you with these comments. We too live in a foreign land with beliefs and practices that are contrary to what our belief system is. Like Daniel, strive, decide to walk the walk of faith and obedience and to make ourselves vessels worthy of the blessing and equipping of a watchful and merciful God so that we may leave a legacy of faith to light the way unto the kingdom. When we hear our own chapter 12, verse 13 proclamation, to go thou thy way till the end, be for thou rest, stand in thy lot at the end of the days. We will have that legacy that will carry on after we're long gone. And that is my message for you today and my hope for all of you and my hope for myself. And, and I hope that this has been a blessing to you I don't know. I forgot to look at my... Hey, we're doing pretty good. It's only 12.01. Let's stand. Pam, go ahead and come on up and, and have prayer, if you will.